Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Hailing Frequencies Open. My name is Carrie, and I will be your host tonight. And I am joined once again by Melanie and David. Hello. Hi. Tonight, we are going to be talking about Next Gen episode, The Heart of Glory. Episode 19, directed by Rob Bowman. Klingons! We're going to have some Klingon fun. Aren't we excited? Oh, you need to be more specific when you say Klingon fun. Because there's the Klingon fun that Riker was going to have with the two Klingon women when he was on the ship. And then there's the Klingon fun where they show up and they murder everyone because they're sucking the ch- <laughs> Oh, in this episode, it is finally pretty much dedicated to Worf. So we get to learn more about Worf. I was waiting and it only took 19 damn episodes. All right, so we open on the bridge. We open with Worf saying, Starfleet has detected a disturbance in the neutral zone. A battle has been fought. Ooh. So they ominous music is playing and the captain's like, well, inform Starfleet that, you know, we're on our way to go investigate. So they do. They head out and go to warp and come across uh, the neutral zone and they start slowing down and they're there to find out what exactly has happened. And from what they can gather so far from all of their scans is that, yes, a battle did happen. There is one ship there and they detect that another ship has been destroyed and they don't know what or who. They are very suspicious that it could be the Ferengi, but they're not sure. They're also thinking that perhaps it's Romulan. <gasps> Romulan, you say? We haven't heard that in a long time. The firing pattern and the debris outside does kind of resemble something that Romulans would have done. The captain is very surprised by this, uh, saying, Romulans, we haven't heard or seen anything from the Romulans in a very long time, which is true because they're very elusive at this point in the Star Trek lore here. But they do become very... Um, pronounced later on in the series. So the captain orders the ship to slow down to, you know, half impulse and be at yellow alert. Everybody be on their game because they don't know if it really is the Romulans. They could be cloaked. They could be out there just waiting to pounce. And Data is scanning the area and he finds a vessel drifting unresponsive Captain tells Data to inform Starfleet that they will be entering the neutral zone. All well and good. Everything up to code and procedure so far. As they get closer to this ship, Riker gets up and he says he does recognize the ship as a Telerian, a Telerian vessel. The Batris is the name of the vessel and it is a cargo ship. Worf has located life signs near the engine room but he can't determine 
who those life signs belong to or what species because there is too much magnetic interference to get a positive ID. And this brings Riker into action like, okay, well, we got to go over to the ship and find these people, bring them back over here because the ship, the ship is dead in the water. Before uh, Riker can select his team, he does point to Tasha, like he wants Tasha on his team, but the captain's like, no, no, if it is the Romulans, I need Tasha right where she is. And the look on Tasha's face is like, yeah, oh, I have to stay on the ship. Fine. So just to start off, the music at the beginning of this episode is excellent. Because yes. it actually is tense and it sets the it sets the stage without even realizing it. Because I was tense. I watched it twice. The first time I watched it through, I was tense before they even set the neutral zone. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until the second watch through that I realized why I was tense. The music cue in the first 10 seconds of the episode is like, there's something that's about to happen. This is serious. This is not light and fluffy. This is heavy and tense. Pay attention. And then of course they say the neutral zone and you could for me, the neutral zone always means conflict, so I immediately was like, the neutral zone. But then also, everybody else in the episode went, the neutral zone. Yeah. It, it was reflective of what I was feeling I was seeing on my screen. That's right. That's again, very true. The music to, is always on point, I think, in the Next Gen series, because it leads to big things. Yeah. Um, to the the part about uh, Tasha going on the away team makes complete sense. The fact that she even reacted that way is dumb. Like she actually should have been the one saying, "No, I formally request to stay here," because as the chief engineer sitting on the edge of the neutral zone, I'm sorry, the chief security officer, you need to be at your station because you never know what's going to happen. The thing that got me was, and I understand because the ship, excuse me, the cargo ship they were going over to was badly damaged, but they probably wanted to keep the team small. And I understand taking the security um, a science officer with you. That's why Jordy's there. I understand taking data because he is an android. And if there's like a gas leak or something where the humans can't go into they can send data right but why not take but why not take wharf if you need a security officer with you he's not technically that's a security officer yet yeah but still that's still. the part that didn't make yeah. sense to me because right. he's one of the fighters and he's also quite possibly the second strongest person on the ship behind data yeah. So you would think if debris and things needed to be cleared, he would, him and Data would be the perfect two to go. Oh yeah, no doubt. If it was up to me, I would have been like, okay, since we can't take Tasha, let's take Worf. Right. I didn't understand why that. I mean, I understand why that didn't happen because of how the episode goes, but in that situation, they're not knowing it's really dumb not to have taken 
work with them. Right. Yeah. Because I'm really team. Yeah, if this was like a real life situation, you'd be like, okay, I need the two like strongest people to go because we don't know what the state of this ship is when we go over there. Uh, yeah, because if you had data, he can technically go anywhere without being too damaged. And then Worf is a very strong individual and he can help lift stuff. And throughout the series, you see him and data doing that kind of stuff. So, logically, yeah. if it was like a real situation, yeah, that's what I would do. What do you think, David? I have no strong opinions at this point, other because nothing's really happened. It's odd that um, it struck me as odd initially that Yar stayed on board, but I understood because potentially they don't know what's going on. There could be another ship nearby. Okay, I get it. Um, but that still being the case, it is still weird that they're like, all right, let's beam over three of our most senior officers while lowering, you know, the shields, leaving ourselves open. And with what they end up doing when they get over to the ship, like what they end up discovering makes it even more dangerous and weird that they really need to have their sensors looked at because what they discover on the ship should have been something they could have noticed from the bridge, like without having to go over there. Yeah. So for yeah, we'll me, it's a weird, weird sequence. Mm -hmm. Oh, I get Right. But at this point, it's just a weird sequence of events mm -hmm. that make it's weirder based off of the follow-up. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did want to cover if I may step in for a second. Sure. Talk Good. about this next bit in, so Riker, Data, and LaForge are going to beam over to the ship. And Picard says, we need to test the visual acuity transmitter. I was good, yep, uh, I know. This is an amazing piece of technology that we only see like two One. more times. Oh, twice. Well, twice. I believe and nope. then one more in the series and then in the movie yeah so like a total of three times um, and each time what it looks like when he sees through his visor and it's projected on the screen is very different things yes. I want to talk about this time so they get over there they turn everything on and Jordy starts looking around and the entire bridge crew has now taken acid. <laughs> <laughs> this, this scene to me is completely not necessary. Right. But also it's, I think they, when they filmed this, that this was more like, we're going to do a bunch of cool, weird colors because we can. And because we don't really know how to define how Jordy sees everything. Mm -hmm. So the best way to do it is an acid trip. Because I've talked to people who have done acid and that's what they see. Oh my. Just a jumble of colors and like aura kind of stuff. Yeah, it's great. It works for them. That's fantastic. Uh, I also want to point out that when he looks at Riker and Data and Picard says, I don't recognize them. 
This is amusing on multiple levels because Fricks and Spiner did not actually appear in those shots. I was going to ask about that because every time I saw that, I'm like, that's not them. Yeah. That's not the, them. The Riker one is at least close. Yeah, close uh, enough. The Spiner one is definitely not close and um, would be right up Nell's alley as far as that's his body double for right. fighting body sequences double, and stuff. So it's very clear it's not him. In that whole sequence, you can tell that it's a wig too and like a really yeah. bad one. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh my God, it's so ridiculous. And, and this is the part that gets makes it weird is that LaForge and just glancing around also the conversation between the bridge and the forge about what the forge sees takes forever. Forever. And based off the damage that this ship has taken, they would have been dead before this conversation ended. I know. <laughs> Which is brilliant when Riker's like, okay, I hate to break this up, but we're going to die any second now. So we got to go find these people and get the fuck out of here. How did Picard end up in the brig and dishonorably discharged and in prison? Well, <laughs> he was really fascinated by how Georgie saw, and then they all died in an explosion. So they're like, negligence. <laughs> because at this point, Geordie goes, oh, there's a fissure in the bulkhead. And by my best guess, the ship is going to explode in five minutes. Five minutes. We're like, okay, go, go, go. I also Here's love the, the thing about this sequence. It just shows, it reiterates how much of a nerd Picard is. Because True. he does this every so often. When he when he something does. fascinates him, he gets so enthralled by that thing that he forgets what they're actually supposed to do. They <laughs> so knew before true. they left the Enterprise that they had a very small window of time before something cataclysmic happened on that cargo ship. And yet, they're moseying around, looking at stuff through Jordy's visor because Captain Picard is fascinated by it. And it's like, uh, hello, a whole bunch of people are gonna die because you're a big nerd. Can you calm down? It's not like this is the first time he's gonna use it. It's not like this is the only time he's gonna use it. He's gonna use it again. Just ooh and ah and let them go. You don't have to, he doesn't have to look at every single thing. I mean, I understand them being like, oh, what's that? Oh, that's Riker. Oh, that's Jory. Or excuse me, oh, that's Data. And being like surprised about that. But then you're like, okay, good. We got the surprise over. Get moving. Go find the people. Why are you, why are we looking at the bulkhead? That's it's, what it's, I was thinking the entire time. I'm like, oh my God, stop talking. They've got like five minutes before they all die. Come on, go, 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 go. And I find it interesting that the Forge, who I give a lot of credit for and is a really good engineer, just by looking at the breach in the hull is like, we have five minutes. Do do you? How, how do you know that? By the stress pattern and the fracture and how much it's spreading, blah, 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 blah. Let's go already. <laughs> So the crack is this big, which means it must have started an hour ago when it was only this big. So now it's this big, which means that once it gets to here, now it means that the crack just opens up into space and we all die. But we have till it gets to here, which will take five more minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that we do not have. 
What I don't understand is why Data is not, because Data and Riker, while Jordy and the bridge are doing their thing, Data and Riker aren't doing anything. No, they're not. Mel, I know you love Data, but in nope. this particular instance, Data is doing fuck all. Oh, no. No, there's no excuse for this. He should have left them there and went and found the people. Mm-hmm. I was wondering that too. Why is he just standing there? He is one of the, him and Jordan are the two people who came up with this interface. He knows how it works. He doesn't need to stand there and have and listen to Jordy tell Picard how it works. He helped design it. Go find the people on the ship that you came to rescue. Why are you standing there? Makes no sense. <laughs> also, take it back a few minutes. Before they even beam off the ship, Riker's like, what is this interface the captain was talking about? You didn't oh, yeah, then they tell me that Riker... The second in command, the the first officer, the executive officer, who's pretty much in charge of everything, doesn't know that they're working on this. Like it never just randomly came up in conversation. He knows absolutely nothing about it. That what? I understand that that was for us, but it doesn't make any sense. It's really stupid. Yeah, I mean, is it necessary to tell him that? you know, in your off-duty time, this is my little hobby that I'm working on? Like, like the no, time... Like the time Warp the wants to build little model ships and then he can't. <laughs> that opens the door for Riker to tell them what he likes to do on his off time. And nobody needs to know that. True. Who that he should be, be monitoring who Commander should be monitoring is Wesley, because goddamn, <laughs> he so, can take over the ship and make little devices. And So, uh, quick side note before we go further. This is another episode from season one. There is no Troy in this episode, and there is no Wesley. Oh, that's right. That's true. And, and I know there's, there's no Wesley, whatever here's the thing the ship's counselor should have been in this episode because there is a crewman who has an emotional (laughs) i mean she should have been there to like check in on the crewman who had to deal with the crazy now he might not have responded well to her like asking if he was okay but she she still should have been there to at least ask the question and she wasn't so where the hell was the ship's counselor he was on beta z again i think in season one that's what they say every time is oh she's on vacation in at beta z because they couldn't be bothered way too damn much right I mean, it's the future and they have like socialized everything. So it's more, you get time off more like Europe. So you get like seven weeks a year. (laughs) Where it's like, oh, it's summer. I'll see you in September. (laughs) I kind of like that idea. (laughs) All right. 
five minutes left before the ship blows. So they're on their way to the core and they reach the core of the engine room where the life signs are. So now they can pick them up and they're stronger, uh, but they still cannot tell what species they are. So Data goes ahead first because uh, there's some toxic gas in the air and it can be harmful to uh, what, David? <laughs> this thing doesn't make any sense either. I'm going over to minimize risk, okay. I've come back. I found them. Oh, okay. Let's all go over there. Great. Picard, what's going on? Data. Well, Jordy and Riker have died of noxious gases that they've. I tried to stop them, but they overpowered me. <laughs> this is stupid. Yes. It, Why did they go over there? It's a little bit of a hole in the plot. Yeah. Because I believe Data says, I can't get the door open. Yes, you can. Yes, he can, and he does. Oh, that... Rip, tear. This was, like... That was stupid. <laughs> yeah. That was stupid. That was stu So even more, so like they do get over there, and there's the door, but it's open just a little bit, and Riker peeks in and says, you know, hey, I'm Riker. Is anybody in there? I'm from the Enterprise. Nobody responds. He looks like a little kid. He just yeah. like pokes his little head around the corner. He's like, hi. Hi, who's in there? Who he can't There was see. absolutely no reason to for him to announce himself. None. No, there's there absolutely is, no, no reason. No. Also, what's great is when Data's like, oh, um, can I open the door now, sir? That. That. Why are you asking permission? The only way to get the door open is for you, Android, to open the door. Right. Because Riker pulls out his phaser so that he could blast it, even though Data literally just said, there's gas all around here. And what do you not do when there's gas everywhere? You don't spark a flame. Right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, that was it's the like part they, of the episode I thought was going to happen. I was like, oh, you know what's going to happen now? They're going to die a fiery death. Because <laughs> Riker will be like, oh, I'm just going to shoot this. And before Data can say, no, don't. <laughs> so they should have died four or five times by now. Yeah, also, again, like, I wouldn't do that if I were you. <laughs> also, the toxic gas. Still, Riker and Jordy are just standing in it, just breathing it in. Yep. Yeah. They are. They're just like, it's yeah. cool. And it's like, um, did, yeah. did we determine how toxic? Like, is there a time limit? No, they never did. Uh, <laughs> if you breathe why... this for five minutes, you'll die. Yeah, which is why you can kind of suspend the... Um, toxic gas plot <laughs> melting their faces off they never bring it up again no they never they do them back to the ship like there for three minutes or so yeah but George, but dr crusher never even looks at them and no. it's not her fault because at no point did they tell her oh by the way there was some noxious deadly gas <laughs> that we breathed in for a while oh don't worry you'll be fine 
Oh, I don't think she would have said that. It would have been her her medical bay would have been full with more people. She's just like, well, now we're going to find out what deadly gas you've been inhaling. Exactly. So Data finally opens the door after he puts his hands on it and then he tries to lift it. And then I'm like, dude, it's already open a crack. Grab it and pull it up, <laughs> which he does. And then they all go in. So Riker first, then Jordy. And then they look up, and what do they see? Three Klingons. So, um, and Captain, you hear Captain Picard, like, what's what's going on, number one? What's going on? And all Riker says is, Klingons. And then the captain says, Klingons. And then Worf turns, like, really quick. His eyes get all wide, and he's like, yay, Klingons! <laughs> This thing is also stupid because the way they all react was reacting to. Because, but the way they're all reacting is that they've never seen a Klingon before. But they have. Like Picard, just like it's what Klingons, and I'm like, literally, there's a Klingon behind you. Yeah, it's like you have a Klingon on your on your bridge. You talk to him. I hope <laughs> find out more about him. All that stuff. It's, um, it's like that episode from the original series where McCoy, Kirk, and Spock, when they see the three beautiful women that beamed on board, and they all behaved like they'd never seen women before. Yeah, it's like that. Where they're all just like, oh my god, did you see that woman over there? Like, you've never seen one. Like, there aren't <laughs> any on the ship. <laughs> It's, 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 it's stupid. It is. Um, the thing that got me about that is clearly everybody on the bridge can hear Riker say Klingons. It's not until Picard says Klingons that Worf turns around. It's like, I'm sorry, did you, why did you not react the first time you heard Klingons? Because if that was me, I would have been like turning around the first time I heard it when Riker said Klingons. Yeah. I mean, that's what I just mean. My answer is, is that I believe Worf has learned to tune Riker out. So when Riker talks, Worf is just like, I don't care. (laughs) That's very possible. Very, very possible. Very. So this is kind of where commercial break would happen. Then we come back and we find out the name of... the lead Klingon, yeah? Yes, Mel? Um, so I talked about the music at the beginning of the episode. Another thing, I actually liked the direction on this episode. There are, there are a few shots in it that I really, really liked. And I really liked the lighting of it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the shots that I liked isn't necessarily because of the directing, but because of the, when they re- um, when they redid all the visual effects on it. Um, When they come out of, I don't think it's this commercial break. I think, I mean, it might be this after it's the first break. Yeah, it is this break, sorry. The first commercial break, they come back and you, the shot is of the freighter close in the frame and the freighter by itself looks absolutely stunning. It looks like it's a real ship in space. It does Uh not look like it's a model 
or a CGI. It looks like a real actual spaceship. And then slowly behind it, the Enterprise goes across the screen. And the visual effects on that were so well done. It's stunning. It's an act, it's a stunning shot that I was just kind of like, wow, that's really beautiful. Like if I didn't know any better, I'd be, I think they were really making this in space because it looks great. That's what I thought when I was a kid. (laughs) (laughs) I did. No, like still to this day as an adult, I watch it, you know, regularly like on Netflix or wherever they have it. And I'm just like, still awesome. Still looks like normal, regular space and full-size ship but it's really just a model and yeah it's a lost art now because everything is done cgi everything you know because the thing with this is shooting with the model it takes forever it does yeah it's like it's like stop motion animation where it just takes so incredibly long and you know you can get away with it on a series like Star Trek or Deep Space Nine or anything like that because a lot of their shots they just have to do like one set of shooting with the model and then you don't really need to do use it all that often after that because it's like oh well we have our flight shot or our overhead here's the camera coming up over the top of it or you know whatever shot you need and then you keep it in case there's a secondary shot that you need because then you just CG in the other model. So it's like, but it's just easier now to turn it over and just be like, oh, we'll just have computers make it. Yeah. Which is also the problem with matte paintings for alien planets is they make a huge difference and they actually make it pop more for me than trying to CG out however far that you go. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, this, uh, say what you will about visual effects for a lot of shows, but um, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, the visual effects are solid. Mm -hmm. And simple. Yeah. Something so simple, and then it just creates this um, thing in your mind. You're like, wow, it's real. That's another lost, that's another lost art is that instead of keeping things simple and allowing people's imaginations Mm -hmm. to run wild, they want to fill everything with CGI. Yeah. And then you lose something because you don't, I mean, to take it way back before you, they even had computers really with on psycho. If you ask people who saw the original psycho, how many times Janet Lee was stabbed people will tell you different things and they have different reactions to it because their minds were was were running wild. And if you ask somebody how many times she was stabbed and they give you an answer, they're wrong. And just for people who haven't seen it, I'm not gonna tell you why they're wrong, but there's a reason Hitchcock did it in a certain way so that each individual person watching it would have their own reaction. And we don't have that anymore and it's really sad because mm-hmm. some of the best things you can go back and say, how did you feel that? And my feelings 
will, will be different than David's and David's will be different than Carrie's and Carrie's will be different than mine. And it's because the filmmakers allowed us to be a part of the process in our own heads. We don't do, they don't do that anymore. They feed it to us on a plate and we just sit there and don't have to think about it. Yeah. Which is good sometimes. Sometimes you want that, but other times you want to be engaged a little bit more. Yeah. Especially in sci-fi. Yeah, not not CGI or anything, but I mean, it works um, to an extent, but you need it to. But you could still throw in like all the simple stuff and just let, yeah, let people use their imagination because it is a lost art. And when you ask people to imagine something, they're like, I don't know if I can. I'm like, oh no. A great way of also pointing this out is, um, Another very good overlooked science fiction series from the early 90s is uh, Babylon 5. It was the first one to use computer-generated effects. However, the computer-generated effects do not look like how computer-generated effects look now. So when you go back and watch it, it looks horrendous. Uh. It's really, really bad. And they can never fix it. And that's a whole separate issue that we don't have time for today but that's the difference too is when they went to update this show it's a lot easier to have computers just update something that's actually there than it is to try and update something that a previous computer did because with that then you have to do a whole new program and you have to add all this other stuff and so that's something that this benefits from as mel was pointing out yeah that's very good all right, back to the freighter, or sorry, cargo ship. <laughs> Chorus is the first Klingon that actually introduces himself to Commander Riker, but there is no time for pleasantries because they've got to get the F out of there. <laughs> There's three Klingons. Right, because they spent the last 30 minutes <laughs> right. moseying through the ship, and now all of a sudden we got to get the hell out of here. We only have two and a half minutes to go and we got to get away from this place. If you had just booked it, you would have had more time. Exactly. I just wanted the Klingons to just be like, we've been hearing you talk for at least five minutes. Can we just go? Like, <laughs> We have plans and ugh, this is really cutting into that time of our plans. This is cutting into my me time. <laughs> so can we? Can we hurry this up? So like I said, there's three Klingons, one who is injured, who's laying down on the slab. And Riker says, like, we don't have time for this. Uh, Data, pick up the body. And Chorus is like, no, I will pick up the body. Well, good. Somebody pick up the body and let's get the hell out of here. Let's go. So they do. And then you see them actually hustling down the corridor, running back to the point where they beamed in. And then you bless you, Kitty. Then you see Captain Picard on the bridge telling Tasha to go down to the transporter room and greet their guests when they come because he wants her to be in charge of the beaming process because if something happens, maybe she'll be better at handling it if something goes wrong. I don't know, but he just sends her down there. And so she does. So 
things are happening and the intense music is going and you're like oh my god are they gonna make it they make it to the beam out point and they're like let's get out of here beam us up so okay beams up okay no knock on tasha i understand why picard sent her because as a security officer just in case she has to like you know f up a klingon she could do it but um When in a dire situation, like beaming um, six people over on a ship that's about to explode, you need a transporter chief who could get it done the first time. You need Miles O'Brien. Yes. That's who you need. Yes, okay. you do. Where was I he? I don't know. Where was he? Because he's already been on the show, okay? He was on the show already. So he should have been there. Tasha, I love Tasha. Tasha is great. We stand Tasha. But Tasha's a security officer. She is not a transporter chief. That's why she almost lost him. Yeah. Yeah. O'Brien would have got him there the first time. There wouldn't have been any, oh my God, what happened? Did did they get them? They would have been on the on the path the first time. He wouldn't have needed them to get farther away. He would have been like, "Watch me work," boop, 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 boop. and they, there they would have been. <laughs> we need Miles O'Brien. Oh, I love Miles, <laughs> and that's exactly how it happens. <laughs> Because you can see like the the terror on Tasha's face the, the first time she's like, oh no, they're not on there. Oh no. And she's like going at it again. And then like the ship is blowing and everybody turns to see like this fireball coming at their face. And then you cut back to the transporter room. They're not on the pad still. And then, ooh, oh, there they are. But the ship has already exploded. Like, I think you were a little late and damn lucky that you got all their patterns before the ship blew. That's just my opinion. <laughs> so intense moment number two. <laughs> oh, geez. Hmm. Okay, so they're back safely. Um, Riker signals to the captain that they're all aboard and that they're going to he is going to take the Klingons to sick bay to get them checked out. And they all should get checked out, actually. You know, toxic gas, as Data said. And Picard's like, yes, of course, yes. Take them to sick bay. I will meet you there. Then Worf says, Captain, can I come with you? I want to see the Klingons. And he doesn't say it like that. But that's in my head. <laughs> that's what it sounds like. Klingons, I want to go play with the other Klingons. <laughs> That would have made it better if Worf had sounded like a child. Me play with Klingons. <laughs> <laughs> We're being silly, but that's fun. Um, all right, so we cut to Sick Bay where Crusher is trying to tend to the injured Klingon who Captain asks, like, okay, how's he doing? She's <laughs> like, not good, that's for sure. I'll get back to you. So he takes that moment. Yes, David? Why are there so many people standing around her as she's trying to save this Klingon? <laughs> there are so, like, she's, 
running scans and she's trying and yet there's two other Klingons and four other and they're just like and they're right up on the bed and I'm just like listen I need a minute and I need you all to go over there yeah yeah I know if I was if I was her if I was the doctor I'd be like um do you not see my patient here dying can you take your little conversation over to the other bio bed where there's nobody around? Jesus. Trying to save lives. God. Ah. So that's what they do. They go off into a little corner and then the captain and Riker start her. No, sorry. Not Riker. Ha! Huh, wharf. <laughs> start asking them questions be like so what brought you out to the neutral zone how'd you get out there who fired on you where's the other crew of the freighter uh but they did have somewhat of answers for them they did blame it on ferengi and when they did warp's like it was not because i analyzed the fire patterns and they are not consistent with a ferengi you know, firing device and phasers and shit. And then they look at Worf and like, hmm, fellow Klingon, what is your name? And he tells them his name, of course. And instantly, it seems like they latch on to Worf. And they're like, okay, we have another Klingon, a, a Klingon in Starfleet on board the ship to help us. Convenient. <sighs> So Chorus and his lieutenant are like, look, we don't want to answer any more questions. We're tired. We're hungry. Can we please be shown to quarters? And Worf is like, oh, I'll take them to quarters. I'll do it. Me, me, me. I got it. Mm-hmm. Guard's like, great. Go ahead. Do your thing. Go play. <laughs> then Riker comes in and starts talking to Picard. And they go back and forth with more questions and they're thinking, mm, something's just not right with these Klingons. But we're just going to let them have some fun with Worf and see what happens. You know, we'll go play in their little sandbox and have some Klingon time. But they are very okay. suspicious. <laughs> that sounds like a Star Trek sitcom. It kind of does. Klingon time. <laughs> they just need some Klingon time. I don't really buy the Klingons leaving sickbay so easily. I don't buy them requesting to leave, and I don't buy them just leaving and leaving their dying comrade with the humans. I don't buy it. Right. It not, the Kling, Klingons wouldn't have done that. One of them would have stayed. Mm-hmm. One of them would have stayed while the other one went and rested and ate, and then they would have switched off. They wouldn't have both left. That seemed very strange to me, especially the fact that they were the ones who were like, we're tired. You're Klingon warriors. You don't get tired. What are you talking about? Yeah. You're tired. Uh, uh, excuse me? You're right. tired? No. They probably would have been like, you know, We'll, st- we'll sit here or we'll stand here and bring us food here. We're not leaving because we don't trust you because inherently they do not trust humans. Yeah. Even though there is a treaty, they don't trust them. Mm-hmm. 
So why would they leave? It doesn't make any sense. So that struck me as <clears throat> odd and unbelievable. Um, that was. Yeah, now that you mentioned it, yeah, that was pretty odd and unklingon like behavior. All right, so then we cut to the quarters that the Klingons have been assigned. They quickly, somehow they quickly know, like, that's the replicator. I'll order Klingon food and drink. We don't know for sure if it knows every Klingon dish, because don't know if Worf really eats Klingon food on on board the Enterprise. We come to find out he really, really likes prune juice. Well, yeah, but we also come to find out that he does and he does eat Klingon food when we meet his parents. Yes, that is true. Um, at when I when when he first started ordering, or when he first went over to the replicator and started you know, ordering pretty much, I thought it was odd. And then I realized, and we, we find this out later in the series, there are, th each person on the ship does put into the master computer things that they like. So mm -hmm. if there's a dish that somebody likes, then they, you know, make sure that the computer has that dish so they could access it, but then it gives everybody on the ship access to it as well which is fine and dandy. So that does come later. But for me, I was thinking, well, of course there would be probably a limited amount of foods Klingon wise that once they found out they were going to have a Klingon on the ship, they probably just added to the main computer. Mm -hmm. There probably were our dietary things that are done like that for any species coming onto a new starship. So considering that they were going to have a Klingon, they were probably like, okay, let's add some stuff to the new computer or to the main, to the main computer so that he has access to it. Now, should these two new guys have known that? Not, no, they probably shouldn't have known that. I think it would have been really funny if he had asked for that and the computer had said, what the hell are you talking about? You don't <laughs> what? We don't have it. Please provide and then worth having to... Worf having to say, oh, it's, you know, whatever, Worf Specialty 97 or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. I think that would have been a little bit more believable than him just being able to say whatever he said and then it come up perfectly. But, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they order their food and their drink and um, Worf does join them because he, he's got questions about them and their travels and all of that um what they order is probably the best way i can describe it it looks like giant turkey legs and some booze so that's what it looked like other klingon dishes we come to find look very horrendous um and um inedible. just wait to the just wait to the riker klingon episode oh oh god Oh, I still remember. Oh. Mm -mm. I could, I can identify some of that stuff. And then the other things I'm like, I don't know what that is. Um, anywho, so the Klingons, uh, Chorus and his Lieutenant start kind of poking at Worf. Be like, so what's a Klingon doing on this vessel with all these humans have they tamed you does like the heart your heart not want 
to fight battles and all this stuff and starts to uh, anger Worf and he asks them, like, why do you mock me? Why, why are you trying to anger me? And all they say is like, well, we just want to know if you can still get angry because then, you know, like the heart of a warrior is coming out and ready to pounce and kill just to prove that he is indeed a Klingon and the warrior that he is. So then we go- They didn't ask him about women, which did they? is kind of shocking. They didn't. Oh, they didn't, no, no. They didn't because they're three dudes and yes, they're not human earthling dudes but they're still three dudes and yeah. not one of them said, what about the women? Mm-hmm. Like, don't you miss a Klingon woman in your bed? Or like something like that. Because <laughs> let's be honest, David, that's a question that a dude would ask. It's it's not a question that uh, my guy friends and I would ask, but I, it is definitely a question that some dudes would ask, yes. And not one of them asked it. I mean, in this Which... scenario, I think, you know, they would be curious. It's like, you are the only Klingon, and we don't know how many other species of females are on the ship, and if any of them can handle Worf. Handle. <laughs> Listen, we find out later that he can pretty much date who he wants, being that he ends up with Troy. Right, but I'm sure they have to be like, hey, uh, we need a safe word. Please don't break my ribs. I mean, <laughs> should everyone have a safe word? Everyone um, should. Um, I'm going to say, I don't know if he's already, if this scene has already happened or if it's going to happen later, but at some point, Somebody talks to Worf about dating and he says, it, he basically implies it's not safe for a Klingon to be with a human female. We're too fragile. Yeah. Again, I point out that by the end of the seventh season, he's just like, yeah, but Troy's hot. Yes, but Troy is also <laughs> half Beta Zed. And look at her mother. Her mother has clearly... <laughs> lived a life mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. several different species of men yes. so <laughs> i'm gonna go out and on the on the on the limb and say that the betazoid women can handle some stuff <laughs> okay Thank i'm just you. gonna um so moving on <laughs> so we get this brief little um clip of sick bay again and the Klingon is he's dying he's getting there he's almost at death's door so uh Crusher informs Picard and then Picard informs Chorus and the lieutenant and of course Worf is with them that uh your friend there's nothing we can do for your friend he's dying uh you need to get to sick bay right away so they do well as soon as they get there he the their other comrade, he's just kind of writhing in pain and making death throws. And right before his, I guess, last breath, Koros leans in, grabs his eyelids, pulls him up, <laughs> looks him dead in the eyes, and then his friend dies. And then they close his eyes. 
Then the low grumbling growl from all three Klingons. And then they howl really, really loud. And apparently this is a Klingon, not, I don't think it's technically a, a ritual. There probably would be something more to a death ritual than what they did, but this is what we got uh, for starters. So it's their death howl. <laughs> I thought it sounded like Tibetan throat singing. In the beginning, that low grumbling thing. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I'm not going to redo that. <laughs> I can't do it, so I'm not going to be able to give you all clarification on that. But I was just like, wait a minute. I honestly don't know what it is, so I'm not going to even try to do it. The best way I can de describe it is um, anyone out there who's ever done singing lessons, and if you know what vocal frying is, it's kind of like that. And then, then you scream, kind of like heavy metal. Yeah, like a heavy metal, low grumble, growl, and then melt your face off, scream. <laughs> That's the best way I can describe it. Or I just always, I always thought of it as more like an animalistic type roar. Yeah. Or holler more than, or... Um, I, I think that if you've ever been to the funeral of someone who was killed mm -hmm. and like died unexpectedly, especially a child and the reaction of the parent and the way parents, especially moms tend to kind of holler mm -hmm. um, in that, in that moment, not maybe not necessarily at the funeral, but when they find out their child has, has, has died, um, that's always how it's felt to me, like a guttural reaction. Yeah, yeah, um, that's a good way of putting it too. So um, I don't remember watching this episode. The first time I remember seeing that is in a later episode when somebody who is very close to Worf dies and is, oh. it is murdered. Yeah. And in that moment, him him giving the that roar is palpable, mm -hmm. and it's 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 you can feel the like in this you're just like oh okay that's that's a thing, but in that moment you can feel it in your gut and you understand what mm -hmm. he is, um, what he's doing. So that's always how I thought about it. Yeah, yeah. That's a good way of thinking about it. So when that's all over, I find it interesting that, you know, the camera pans to Crusher and Picard and they just stand there watching them do that. And they didn't get even like a little bit spooked by the, the loud roaring. So they just watched them do their thing. And then when they were done, Crusher asked, you know, Chorus, it's like, what do you want me to do with the body? Is there any ritual that you need to do um, you know, I'll, we'll do our best to help accommodate you for that. And they're like, no, just get rid of it. It's just an empty shell now. Jettison in space, do whatever. And then so they you are right. Uh, Dr. Crusher and Captain Picard didn't really have a reaction. They just kind of stood there stone-faced. But there is a nurse standing behind everyone who looks like she just got everything in her bowels shot out of her and 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 she's scared shitless now 
she's looking at them like, what the hell was that? What is happening? And why am I standing here? I'm just in here trying to do my job and people hollering. <laughs> what is going on? That's the reaction I was hoping for. <laughs> Give it to the extras. Give it to the extras. <laughs> like, I'm going to make that money and I'm going to make it count. She's <laughs> back there like, what is happening? I just came over here to get a readout. They're hollering, scaring me. <laughs> I mean, it takes the rest of the day off. <laughs> <laughs> I can't take this. I'm too emotional. Can't take it anymore. Yeah. Anyway. Why am I on this ship? <laughs> right? Right? Oh, my goodness. All right. So now we're going through the corridors again with Worf and, and the other two. And all this while, Worf is... Still trying to ask questions and get to the bottom. And he just wants the truth. He wants answers. He knows that they're not being truthful. And he's just, he's not getting anything right away. Um, and this is a great moment where we do learn about Worf, a little bit about his origin. Because the lieutenant and chorus asked him, I mean, like, how old were you? like why did you join starfleet like how, how did this happen he's like well let me tell you on kittimer the kittimer outpost was attacked by romulans he was found by a federation officer that took him in decided to adopt him took him to the colony that he lived on with his wife at the time and said this is going to be our son we're going to raise him great okay and they do and they're like well how old were you when that happened? And Worf says before the age of inclusion, which I believe is probably around like three years old, four years old, maybe. That's my best guess. Um, and it's here now that we learn the truth from the Klingons. They stole the cargo ship and they didn't kill any of the uh, crew members they just left them somewhere not sure where just left them and took their ship so they were on their way to a different system in the neutral zone to try and establish <laughs> a new place to live where they can freely be themselves and and because they don't want anything to do with the treaty with the humans they don't like humans and they're not about that life. So they wanted to <laughs> do something else. That's true. They're not about that life. They're like, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. We don't subscribe to that. And they just go into this long discussion where they're like, the blood of all Klingons is not pure anymore. And because we're basically bowing down to the humans and like, no. Worf is like, no, I, I personally don't see it that way, but I can understand their point of view, you know, being probably feeling like they were forced into this treaty when they didn't want to. And then they drop like the cherry on top that they ship that was destroyed earlier that they couldn't identify was actually a Klingon ship. And Worf was like, you 
did what <laughs> you fired on our own people like yeah they were gonna catch us and you know take us back and kill us in a very dishonorable way they were not going to get any honorable death and they were going to be tried and probably imprisoned and later executed not sure how the whole Klingon justice system works but death is probably involved at some point okay and then we get like a quick clip of the so, bridge yes so I like there's a shot in this sequence of the three of them they're all standing directly in front of the camera but their faces are staggered mm -hmm. so that you can see Worf is in the is right in the foreground then Colas is to his to Worf's right are left on the screen and then the other guy is in the back but his face is between theirs mm -hmm. and it's and the way it's lit and the way it's acted is very intense. And what they're talking about is very intense. But I like <clears throat> the shot because it's very intimate. And I feel like you can understand all three of them in that moment where all three of them is coming from. And the way it's acted, the acting that they're giving through all the makeup is very subtle but it's very intentioned mm -hmm. and because you're looking only at their faces that's all you have to focus on you focus on their faces and you focus on what they're saying and I just thought that was a brilliant shot that was a good shot There's, yeah there was, was no place, there was no place for them to hide it's a dark room there, it's just their faces, and you have to listen to them, what they're saying. Worf is clearly wrestling with something. They've been calling him out this entire time, and he's clear, clearly feeling some sort of way. And then it takes a turn when he finds out that they killed a bunch of Klingons. So he's wrestling, and you can see that all on Michael Dorn's face. And to me, Michael Dorn, like... After this episode, they should have been like, we're writing everything for Michael Dorn because he can do it. Yeah. Like, forget <laughs> the rest of them. Let's write this. Let's write this show for Patrick Stewart and Michael Dorn. Come on now. Of course, they didn't do that. But no. still. Everybody's got to get their, their time. All right. So a uh, quick little shot of the bridge of Picard, Riker, and Data. And Picard mentions uh, to Riker about the uh, wharf howling and like in, in that moment how he felt and then woo, Data interrupts and says that there's another ship. Uh, long range sensors have detected another ship coming for their way. And then that's kind of that. And then boom, we go to engineering where Worf is showing the Klingons around because they asked him earlier if it was permitted for him to show them the ship. He's like, sure. Honestly, I wouldn't after they had admitted that they destroyed a Klingon vessel. Like he got the information that he wanted. He should have been like, okay, I got to go to the bridge because I got a job and everything. So I'll be right back and then go report it to Picard. But like you said, 
Right now, Worf is torn between two different cultures. Do I stick with my Starfleet um, knowledge and everything that I stand for on this ship? Or do I stand with my countrymen and just take their side because they're Klingons? I'm Klingon, they're Klingon. Right. He's not sure. So he does take them on the Um, little tour. Yeah. Go ahead, keep going. Okay. So he takes them on the tour and they're in engineering and uh, the Lieutenant Klingon says, oh, we could have like glorious battles on this ship. I was like, no, that's not why I'm showing you this. <laughs> like, this, this no, there are, there's two of you and like a thousand of us, you can't take us all. But then we go back to the bridge again. It's like these three scenes, super quick. One, one thing. Yes. So one of the things about this episode is the Klingon that you hear spoken in this episode is not actually Klingon because at this point the Klingon language wasn't a thing like they hadn't actually written it out so people that go in and if you try to translate it it doesn't make any sense no which is why we didn't get any subtitles right so what ends up happening is because of all that the writer Maurice Hurley what he did was he just had them say a bunch of words that sounded Klingon oh yeah it's an acting exercise. It's like the uh, gibberish exercise, which is basically what that was. So good, good point though. Uh, so back on the bridge again. Uh, of course, Data would have this knowledge. So Data is trying to explain to Picard and Riker what they witnessed Worf do with the the death howl and everything. And he said, it's a Klingon ritual. And they're like, oh, but what about the howling? It's like, well, the howling is significant because they are warning the dead that a Klingon warrior is coming. Simple, simple explanation, cool explanation. And to the point. Right to the point. Thanks, Data. (laughs) I want to go back. Uh Uh-huh. When they first flashed to the bridge... Before the cling, before they show the Klingons and war, well, all the Klingons in in um, engineering, mm-hmm. Picard says something to the effect of, "This was like the first time he was seeing Worf. Like Worf was very different, and it was like the first time he was seeing him." Mm-hmm. And that struck me as a little girl. The Klingons were always black people. Yeah. And the reason why it struck me is Black people behave differently at work than we do at home. And for anybody who doesn't understand that, it's true. We have our work voice. We have our work attitude, our work persona. And then we go home and we're a different person. If you ever see someone that you work with out of work, and they're black, you're probably gonna get a different person. And it's not because they're a different person, it's because we have to act a certain way at work because of the way society dictates. Mm-hmm. When I heard Picard say that, I said to myself, well, of course he's different. Of course you've never seen the real true wharf. He cannot 
show you guys his true self and his true nature for two reasons. One, he probably doesn't fully know his true nature because he hasn't been around a lot of Klingons. And there are certain things that he just, because he hasn't learned them from other Klingons, he, if you can only read it in a book, you don't get the full grasp of it. And two, if he walked around like a full on Klingon, you all would be terrified. Look at all the people when the when they when the three of them were walking through the halls, the way people were looking at them, everybody was scared. Mm -hmm. Worf has to dial himself down and be docile so that he doesn't scare the other people on the ship. So yes, Captain Picard, of course you've never seen the real Worf. You've only seen business Worf. That's true. And like Worf admits <laughs> that. He's like, I I'm at work, so I got to be a certain way. Yeah. And he struggles so with that all the time. All the time. That's part of his his journey is struggling with his Klingon side and 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 with his Starfleet side. Yeah. And but that is like a genuine black person reality in in on this planet. Mm -hmm. Especially in, you know, the US. We have to act a certain way so that people aren't afraid of us yeah so that sucks that just stuck out to me because that's it's very truthful yeah the writer might not have understood fully when they wrote it but so now long-range sensors have picked up another Klingon vessel on an intercept course. So it's finally closer. They hail the ship and then they speak to the captain of this Klingon vessel. Picard explains that they have um, two, well, had three Klingons that they rescued from this cargo ship. And the captain says that he is looking for three Klingons that um, eluded them and destroyed a Klingon vessel and did all these other things. So they need to find these Klingons and bring them in and bring them to justice. So Picard says, well, we happen to have uh, Koros is, and the captain of the other Klingon ship is like, oh, you have him? Perfect. Uh, detain him, please. And we'll, you know, when we're closer, we'll, take them from you and the captain's like cool okay uh i'm not gonna interfere with whatever your business is with them we'll get them for you and detain them one thing the shot yeah. of the klingon ship that you see uh-huh that is a shot of a klingon ship from star trek the motion picture oh that's why it doesn't look like klingon ships how they look later on in the series. Mm -hmm. I wondered about that. Because at this point, they're still trying, like, they're still on a fairly strict budget. Yeah. And while they had a budget, like a strict-ish budget in later seasons, because they were such a ratings phenomenon and people really enjoyed the show, they were able to go over sometimes and not worry about it. At this point, that was not a thing. They... Mm -hmm. Yeah, season one's always tricky with budget and stuff. And be like, okay, what can we reuse? 
<laughs> They'll never know. Just turn it upside down. It's a space station now. Picard tasks Tasha uh, to get a team together of security officers and find the two Klingons. And they happen to be on deck 17 with Worf, naturally. <laughs> For some reason, uh, Picard reiterates deck 17 like something magical and mysterious and is on deck 17 and they shouldn't be on deck 17 <laughs> really. it's like, why did you react so much to that whatever totally fine he wants them caught and put into custody obviously so we get cut to Worf and the two Klingons going down the corridor and then Tasha pops up says Worf's name and he's like what and like all these like security people and then he turns and looks at his Klingon fellow brothers and he's like oh shit things are gonna get real right now um and then in the middle of like Worf is literally in the middle of his two lives. Klingon, Klingon lives on one side, Federation life on the other. Which is he going to choose? Then the turbo lift doors open and a mother and her child pop out. The child just runs out, looks up at the, at the Klingons and honestly is not scared at all which kudos to her. And Koros, he picks her up and just kind of looks at her in the face. He's just like, hmm, human child. And Tasha instinctively, you know, taps her badge and says, we have a hostage situation, Captain. And Koros is like, no, we don't. Here's the child, God. <laughs> gives the child to Worf. Worf gives the kid back to the mom. They fuck off. And they go peacefully with, the security people and then tasha starts talking to Worf, like oh my god i thought we were really gonna have a problem Worf's like really why why do you say that she thought it looked like you know he was going to hold that little girl hostage and how Worf reacted was great because he's like why because he's klingon i'm klingon you think i'm gonna do that jeez i literally was i and i wrote this down Mm -hmm. When Tasha first said, we have a hostage situation, I said, no, you don't. Because Klingons don't take hostages. They're not cowards. Exactly. And that's basically what Worf said to her. Yeah. <laughs> Taking yeah. hostages and, and like using children is the sign of a coward. And we're not cowards. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what, is, what are you talking about, crazy yeah. lady? It's like, I am super offended that you would even think that. Yeah. And he, he should have done a hair flip and then turned around and walked away. Oh, God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, which is why I loved when Worf actually had long hair. His hair out. Yeah. This, yeah, the rest of the season. Because uh, I want to see that, that hair flip. Oh, so good. Uh, David, what did you think of that scene? Um, I mean, it made sense in a way, but it actually shows ignorance on Tasha's part yes. for other cultures. Absolutely. Yes. And I understand the misgivings of Klingons and the Federation still at this point, because let's be very clear, they've only had a 
treaty for like 40 years. Yeah, something like that. So a large chunk of the Klingon and human population are still acutely aware of them hating each other. Mm -hmm. So it's not so simple to forget all that in just that short a period of time. Right. But in this sense, this is more um, a scene that this is a Tasha issue. And as a security officer, she should know that Klingons are going to do X, Y, and Z. Much like she should with any, so that she has tactical advantage. Yeah. But she doesn't, and that's the problem. So I'm like, if she doesn't have tactical advantage here, how is she going to have tactical advantage against whoever else may show up? Oh, she's not, because they don't know what they're doing. That's when researching comes in, you know? If you know that someone is going to be coming on the ship soon, and there are certain species, like, you need to know what their dietary restrictions are do they have any religious practices that we need to make available for them um are they highly offended if you are polite to them you know you gotta research to make sure you do your job correctly and you see this later when you have other races come on board and I forget which episode it was but it's from I think season two where they're making a whole room to be like this big room that these delegates are going to stay in and so they have to make sure the lighting is perfect and the pool where their live food is kept is the right temperature and they've got to get you know and they're going through this process but my thing is Klingons and humans it's not that uncommon for you to have interactions so it would be one thing if it's a race that she rarely sees or has to interact with but she interacts with Klingons fairly regularly excluding Worf in theory mm-hmm. so these are things she should know but, but that is why David you're absolutely correct where that it's a Tasha thing because look at how everybody else responded to what could be considered weird things that the Klingons did everybody else was just like okay culturally that is clearly a Klingon thing that I don't understand but instead of me saying or doing something I'm going I'm just going to accept it and then later Picard tells Riker about it it tells Riker and Data about the death ritual and then Data explains because of course Data knows Data explains what it is but Picard wasn't saying it trying to mock or trying to invalidate their custom. He was just saying, this is what they did. I don't know why they did it, but that's what they did. That's just the fact of the matter. And Data was like, well, this is why they did it. And then they're like, okay, that's cool. And Tasha was just like, I mean, she, you're right as a security officer, she should have known. She, that's something that I'm sure in the histories, they it would say, um, Cleons don't take hostages. They kill everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she should have known that just in the fact of them standing there with five security officers and three Klingons, and I say three for a reason, three Klingons that with, and the security officers have their phasers out, that the Klingons aren't going very far. Even if they did something to that child and that mother, they're not going very far. So why would they do anything? Even if the the thought had crossed their mind to me, The problem also lies in the fact that at this point, Tasha has decided she no longer trusts Worf. 
Yeah. Because Worf is a Klingon. And so he must be, his sympathies must lie with them and he's going to do whatever they do. Mm-hmm. And um, what? It sounds like what you're describing very much sounds like how I'm going to make this a bigger topic that we don't have to go into today, but it really speaks to a bigger topic is what you're describing is very similar to how white people specifically react anytime someone that's not a white person gets involved in something, see World War II and Japanese American citizens. Mm-hmm. Like I know tons of white people that have no idea that we threw Japanese Americans into internment camps during World War II because they just decided, well, you know, you look Japanese, so yeah, you're probably you're, right. But they didn't care about any of that. No, they didn't. They were just like, hmm, I mean, we're just going to put you in a place where we can watch you. Right. And, and it's not talked about as much as what happened to the Jews over in Europe, obviously, because we weren't, at least in all of my research, I haven't found any evidence. We weren't gassing or killing them. No, like, we just put them in a ghetto, basically. No, they just they just put them in the ghetto in LA County. They got put in literally a horse race. They were housed in horse stalls at the Santa Anita racetrack. Literally. And that's where people were put to live, families. But, and then they they um anybody who owned property or anything, they took all of their stuff. Like George Takai says, the one thing that he would want back is his father had a samurai sword that was their families that had been descended down their family line and their fa- his father brought with them from Japan. And they, they were told to pack one bag for each person and leave their house. And their house was taken all their furniture and all their belongings, including that sword, was taken. And they were sent to Santa Anita to live on a racetrack. And that's what I was about to say, is the the big similarity between the Japanese internment camps and the Jewish internment camps in Europe is that in Germany, they took all the Jews' stuff. And in the Japanese internment camps, Americans took all of their stuff. Now, in the Japanese-American version, it's not necessarily the government that took all their stuff but the thing was is that white people would just go in and basically loot the house and no one would stop them so does george takei's samurai sword that comes from his family passed down forever still exist it probably does but probably at this point whoever owns it has no idea that it's his Mm -hmm. or the history of of it they probably yeah. just think it's like a prop. Because the only way you can find out is you would have to take you have to take the sword apart, and in the handle you have to take the handle off, and that lower part of the sword is where all the inscriptions are. But you'd actually find out. So probably whoever owns it, if it still exists, has no idea. But and David, I was going to bring all that up, but I decided against it because I already brought up a thing about black people. Um, so. I got you. I thank you for that, sir. But yeah. It reminded me of that. That's that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that Tasha, that's what she meant. Mm-hmm. She didn't think before she spoke. No. And that's the problem is 
also is that throughout the first part of the season, the rare times that Tasha gets to interact with Worf, you do get the feeling that there's a tr- mutual trust and respect there. Yeah. And then in one episode, in one instance, that goes out the window. To me, that's a failure of writing. Yeah. Because they just didn't, they're just trying to add drama when you don't need extra drama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. All very good points of view. And this, again, is like why I love Star Trek so much because it gets us on real topics that are happening right now. And the fact that this reminded us of those things just really speaks volumes. And, you know, we all need to be made aware of these things that have happened in our own past. And please don't, you know, doom yourself to repeat it because we just don't want don't we don't want the hate anymore and it's like we're all human beings let's all get along god damn it <laughs> it's it's the dream it's the dream it's the dream i mean star trek really is the dream as as yeah. as stupid as humans still are during these star trek times mm-hmm. it is the dream yeah coexistence trust um and mutual admiration. Yeah, mutual ad- when, admiration for each other. When you don't fully understand, you know, yeah. the other species or the other, you still have respect mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. All right. So back to it. So they have been taken into custody and they have been led to a holding cell and put in and uh, force field gone up. And like David was saying earlier about the Klingon language, they do speak to each other in Klingon, but we don't get any subtitles because we have no idea about the Klingon language and, you know, how it was going to evolve. So um, all I can assume is that they were talking about some kind of plan in those few words that they were saying to get out of there. Oh, so then we cut back to the bridge where Worf is now on the bridge and uh, Picard has tell, told him what's happened and the Klingon ship that's out there has come for these two Klingons. So we need to deliver them. And Worf, still knowing what he knows, tries to help them in any way that he can to make sure that they have an honorable death, if that's what's going to come to it, by um, them getting taken back so the when the Klingon captain of the other ship calls back to ask Picard it's like okay what's the situation are they in custody now Worf asks Picard if he can address the captain of the Klingon ship and she's like I suppose so um go do your thing so I don't want to say like Worf is begging but he is he's definitely pleading to the captain for leniency for the two, for the two Klingons that are in cap- captivity right now, uh, he says they need to be like at least taken somewhere else where they can like actually live out their days as themselves and like die on their feet, with, uh, not with dishonor, uh, be honorable a death as possible, even though they have committed these crimes against the Klingons and broken the treaty. And all that. And the captain's like, I feel your pain. I do. But I am for the treaty, basically. 
and this is what we have to do. It's like, I need them aboard my ship so justice can be done. And Worf, rightfully so, is there nothing else that we can do? It's like, nope, sorry. This is how it's got to be done. Like, all right. He tried. He really did. I Mm -hmm. like that Picard in in this situation has allowed Worf to be a part of it. Yes. Because every time Worf has asked, Worf asked if he could go to sickbay when they Mm -hmm. first arrived. Picard could have said no. Mm -hmm. But instead of saying no, he was like, not only can you go, but I'm going to go with you. Yeah. And then I'm going to let you handle them. I'm going to let you be, you know, the representative of the ship. You just go have fun with with the other Klingons. Go Klingon off together. And then in this instance, he asks to speak to the Klingon captain. Picard could have said no. Mm -hmm. I think that Picard, being the diplomat that he is, understands that even though he is the touch point with the other captain and in any other circumstance him not speaking to the captain would be a sign of disrespect he still allows Worf the other Klingon to greet him and to you know plead with him Picard had no probably had no idea what he was gonna say but Mm -hmm. he still allowed him to do it because culturally i think he understood that whatever was said would be received better if it came from Worf. yeah that was my thought too like the like they the the other captain would respect whatever had to be said yeah and that and i think therein lies the trust that picard has over the trust a scene ago or a couple scenes ago that tasha lacked mm-hmm. because picard really had no idea and he, at this point, doesn't speak Klingon. So Worf could have said, kill us. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he really could have said something crazy out of pocket. But yeah. Picard trusted him. Yeah. I was like, no, this is the best diplomatic choice in this situation to allow this man to open up this conversation. Right. And that to that is just another... Like, Picard makes mistakes, but he does a really good job of being open to allowing his officers do things when it when it really calls for them to yeah that's what I like about Picard he's very respectful he listens to his crew and he he trusts them and yeah. when he finds out like in this episode he finds out things about Jordy he finds more things out about Worf and he says things like oh this must be a little bit or like I know him a little bit more now both Jordy and Worf. So I thought that was pretty cool. Okay, so now get a little scene in the cell where the two Klingons are. And they are starting to take pieces off of their um, suits and start putting things together. And it turns into a disruptor type gun. And then they also have like a little something in their pocket that disrupts the energy field of <laughs> their cell. So now they're out and they have shot the security guy. Presumably, I think he's dead. He's stupid. He's stupid. Tasha but- needs to be fired over the, <laughs> just this episode because clearly she is not teaching her security officers to take cover. 
right. this guy was standing out of the doorway and this fool fully jumps in with no cover not <laughs> expecting to be shot he's just like yo what's happening and then they shoot him oh yeah i guess he's dead of course he's dead he's an idiot if he's not dead, he should be put in the brig himself because clearly he does not know how to be a security officer. Sorry, you're going to have to go back to training lesson number one. <laughs> Learn wrong. to duck. Like, terrible. Just terrible. Yeah, it, it is. So, <laughs> so they do, they pop out and then another security guard comes like, oh, shoots the lieutenant Klingon a couple of times and then that Klingon shoots that security officer and that guy's dead and then tasha pops out of somewhere and kills the lieutenant klingon and then koros grabs the gun and runs down the corridor uh seemingly going to engineering of all places <laughs> and then tasha's like oh okay well i have two officers down and one of the klingons is down and the other one is hauling balls down the hallway. <laughs> like, I need more security people. Like, no, no, I don't think you do, Tasha. Your your quota has been met. You don't get any more until we get some new people transferring to take the jobs of these two dead people right here. You can't train, you didn't train them well. That's why they're dead. Exactly. It would be different if there was like a hand-to-hand -hand combat situation and the Klingons won, because uh, that would make sense. But if these mm -hmm. two fools died because they didn't take cover. Yep. Yep. Take cover. Oh my god. Just dumb. So like I said, now we go get a little shot of engineering where he's running like a madman through engineering with his disruptor gun. Oh wait, before you go on. Of course. I'm sorry. Sorry to interrupt. At the end of this scene, after Tasha's like, Corliss is run is, you know, going to engineering or whatever, and then she follows him. We see my favorite long-standing extra, the black security officer. Oh yeah. He's in the whole series. If they need a random security guy, they call that fool. <laughs> he's already been in at least one episode and, and he's just, he's great. Because he's always there. It's like, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, cool. They have, you know, a lot of times you see uh, background people on the ship and it's never the same people. He's, yeah. the, he's one of the same people that, that's always there. And I appreciate that on shows where you go like, Frasier, I knew someone who was on Frasier. He played one of the people in the coffee house. He was like one of the baristas. And he mm -hmm. was on the show the entirety of the show. So every time they went into the coffee place, he's there. But it's oh, like, God. that's cool because you shouldn't, shouldn't be every time you go into a coffee shop. If you go into the same coffee shop every day, you're going to see the same people. Exactly. Yeah. And that's how it should be on a show if it's going to be reflective of real life world yeah so if it's reflective of the world there's somebody should be the same person and this black guy is it the black security <laughs> officer that's so my cool. he's my favorite i gotta pay more attention to like all of the extras because there's some people <laughs> that i see i'm like oh yeah you've been in like 10 episodes 
and you know we get we get other people like i don't count o'brien as an extra yes he starts out as an extra but then he becomes a thing and same thing with um the nurse nurse agawa thank you nurse agawa she starts off as an extra but then her she becomes a thing and even Guinan, if Guinan wasn't played by Whoopi Goldberg, she would have just been an extra who then became a thing. Yeah. An exactly. actual character. But because it was Whoopi Goldberg, she was a character. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. So, I mean, it does happen, but those people actually get story arcs. And this guy doesn't get a story arc. He just, you know, shoots at people or He's runs down there. the corridor. He's but just there, which is what great. What color suit do you need me to wear today? <laughs> right. It's just great. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you. I hope you're doing well. I hope so too. I hope all of these extras from next gen that they're doing well and still getting more extra stuff. <laughs> yeah. I hope every time we watch an episode with you in it, you get a check. Yeah. I wonder how that works. Yeah. I hope you get a residual check. And if, yeah. you, get, if you get. 25 cents for each time an episode is watched watched and all three of us watch an episode that is a 75 cent check there you go (laughs) but every little bit counts if you think about it it's like yeah you get if it's on tv you get a residual check that way and i'm it's on netflix and hulu so do you get a residual check that way too every time somebody clicks on it i'm assuming so but i don't know how that works I'm not sure exactly how that works, but yeah, it's see, probably. See, my my viewing wouldn't count because I own it on Blu-ray. Well, mm. David, you suck. You're taking food out of people's mouths and off their tables. You're <laughs> terrible, terrible, terrible man. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Please forgive David for he knows not what he does. Just click, David. Just click. Ching, ching. Every time. <laughs> that's, a, that's a real weird sentence. <laughs> Uh, residual checks i mean residual checks (laughs) oh jesus okay so engineering little kerfuffle chorus does actually make it up to the higher point uh where the warp core is and he points his little phaser disruptor gun right at the core and tasha's down there signaling the captain she's like okay here's the situation got his phaser pointed right at the core if he fires, we're dead. And Picard's like, I know I'm not stupid. <laughs> so at the this thing point... that got me about the thing that got me about this scene, mm-hmm. besides the fact that Picard basically said that to her, is that they did not clear out engineering. No. You would think they would say, leave. It's like, if you want to live, get out. Or, hey, make preparations to separate saucer. They yeah. might not have had time, but at least you can get people as far away from the blast as possible and hope for the best. But it's- no, they're just like, now we're going to let a bunch of people sit around and watch. And if we die, we die. <laughs> the hell? No, Somebody fire their chief know. security officer because she is not doing a good job. No. Now that you know established from the very first episode that the ship can separate anytime there's some kind of disaster where the ship might blow up but only the engineering section of the ship you get everybody to like the saucer section or wherever separate the ship 
so people can live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'd Speaking. think that'd be just a protocol. Yeah. Or, or like, you know, they do have doors to hold if containment mm-hmm. is, is breached. There are doors they could have put started lowering lowering the doors so that if he did shoot you know something would there something they could have done something something could have been done but they didn't can you hang on one sec i think jenna just called me one sec just um all the things wrong with this last little sequence in this episode oh okay (laughs) okay she just heard a loud bang and she thought it was me Oh. Probably the neighbors. Um, okay, so now at this point, Koros is freaking out. He knows he's been caught and bad things are going to happen to him. So he starts screaming that he will only speak to Worf. Bring him his countrymen. He only wants to talk to Worf because he's the only other Klingon on the ship that would possibly understand what he's going through. So the captain's like, all right. Fine. We'll send Worf down. So Worf goes. Um, and when Worf gets there, Tasha's like, okay, here's the situation. And he's like, you've done enough already. Let me just go do my thing. <laughs> so he climbs up the ladder and goes and has a little conversation with uh, Koros. And he is legit freaking out. Not Worf, but he's like, you're the only one who understand. Um, you, you know where I'm coming from. Like, we could leave this ship together and, you know, go start a new Klingon kind of life. Like, the way it should have been, you know, before humans and treaties and all that stuff. And Worf is like, I can't. Like, you got to answer for what you did. I'm not going to betray my captain and my ship. This is my ship. It's like, no, you can't possibly side with the humans. They're evil. They're this, they're that. They're just going to ruin everything. Like, ah, nope, sorry. It's like, what you're doing is wrong. And we have to give you over to the captain of the Klingon vessel that's out there. And shit goes down, of course. And one thing. So in this... Cora says, I would rather die here than let the traitors of Kling pick the meat from my bones. Kling? Kling is what he says. And the reason is, at this time, Kling was intended to be the name of the home planet of the Klingon. Oh. Oh. Come Um, on. (laughs) However, once this episode was filmed, very quickly the writers realized that was stupid. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't actually ever hear what the name of the home planet of the Klingons is until Star Trek VI. Mm-hmm. Um, and before then, they just described the Klingon homeworld as the homeworld. Um, and Kling is now assumed to just be like a city or a district. Ah, so that's okay. how they covered their stupidity. <laughs> um, this scene, this this man's monologue, and I know that they did not, the writers did not intend it to be this way, but um, it got really sexual. Like, oh. it sounded at points like a lover 
mm-hmm. talking like a heartbroken lover talking to his intendant about how heartbroken he is of, of being rejected oh i t- he starts off with saying i tasted your heart excuse me you did what to my woo you better get, nah Mm-mm. no no and Worf took it pretty much like a lover ex- like listening to his rejected betrothed have an emotional breakdown he just sat there and was like all right we're gonna do this in front of everybody I mean okay I'll let you have your say <laughs> it was really romantic and and sexual and I was sitting here like this is very intimate and I feel like I shouldn't be watching it we've now created a new fan fiction idea oh god also <laughs> also um it was very unclean on he was literally he was legitimately having an emotional reaction yeah he was and that's yeah. not a cling on thing they don't do that yeah they don't give in to fear they ch- right exactly they channel their emotions into the warrior spirit. They don't let fear overtake them. And he was fearful. He was scared. He was pleading. And they don't do that. Even when Worf was pleading earlier, he wasn't pleading for himself. He was actually asking for them to be killed, but to let them be killed fighting, not killed while tied up. To let them go out as warriors, not as dogs or whatever. Yeah. So his plea was his plea wasn't out of fear; it was more out of respect. Mm-hmm. Please let me die with honor, right? And this guy is pleading like, "Oh, please, 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 baby, don't leave me, please. I love you. I tasted your heart. Ew, I don't want to know. I don't want to know what you guys did when we were on the bridge and you weren't. Cut it out." When we cut away from the scene, what did you guys do? No, never. No, no, no don't want to know. <laughs> the next time they're on the bridge, Picard is like, yeah, he said something about tasting his heart and I didn't understand. And Data's like, well, in fact, that is actually when two Klingons and yeah, we don't need to know. Thank Data, you. No, 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 no more. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Okay. I order you to forget that piece of information. <laughs> yeah i it was it was um it was intense it was a lot lot. and i don't i know that the writers didn't intend for it to be that way but yeah Mm -hmm. and with such intensity comes the actual death where he like actually like falls off the thing to his death and smashes into the glass and um not quite dead yet but when Worf gets down there flips him back over and he's doing his little death shroud thing. Another Picard moment. Tasha's gonna run over to him on the floor and Picard stops her because he understands mm-hmm. the ritual needs to take place. Exactly. And it's important not only for the one dying, but also for Worf. Because even though Worf did his duty to the Enterprise, he had bonded with them. Mm-hmm. And see, that's why I love Picard so much. He's like, he gets it. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. I know you f- feel compelled as a security officer to do your job, but right now, this isn't yeah. it. Right. Because he's he's about to die, but you allow them to have their moment. Yes. 
because here comes the the ritual again and we're going to witness it again and maybe this time tasha will be like oh i understand Worf a little bit now a little bit better that's my hope so koros dies uh wharf holds his eyelids open stares directly into his eyes as he's dying so he witnesses his death and then he does his death howl where picard and tasha just stand there and watch until he's done and then as soon as he's done he gets up and he's like all right now um i'll just go about my day now and you know, whatever emotions he's feeling about the whole situation, whatever he's got to do, he's going to do it in private. So everybody saw that. That's fine. But anything more, he's going to do it in private and wrestle with his feelings and thoughts and stuff. So then we get back to the bridge and Worf asks to speak to the captain again of the Klingon ship. And Picard is like, okay, um, one last time. Go ahead. And uh, they do speak a little bit gibberish Klingon to each other. And the captain's like, okay, so where are they? Well, they're both dead. So your job is done now. Basically, that's it. And the captain of the Klingon vessel, vessel, how did they die? And Worf says, they died well. Great. The captain is happy with that answer. And it's like, I don't need their bodies obviously you can do whatever you want with them and before Worf leaves the little conversation with the captain he says I respect he respects him and he's very impressed by Worf and he says when your duties are over with the Federation ship I would like you to consider coming aboard my ship and he thanks him and he'll think about it and they end that conversation. Then he starts walking back up towards his station, turns to the captain and Riker and everybody, because they're all turned at him. They're like, oh, are you going to leave us? Are you really going to, is this it? Kind of looks on their faces. And he just kind of lets them think for a minute or two. He's like, I was just being polite. I, I intend to stay here. And they're like, oh, okay. Thank God. <laughs> this scene actually irritated me yeah and it kind of negates all the stuff that Picard did the the pre previously in this episode mm-hmm. because what they should have understood is that that the Klingon captain saying that to Worf was an honor mm-hmm. to Worf and that Worf accepting it was accepting an honor he wasn't, to me, he wasn't necessarily saying, yeah, sign me up. To me, it was validating him and him thanking him for validating his Klingonness because Worf is an anomaly and they don't have to validate him. They could say, you were raised by humans. We, we don't consider you a Klingon, which is literally what happened the prior scene. The, mm-hmm. He told him, you're not a true Klingon. You're not a true warrior. And then and then it turns around and the captain, the Klingon captain says to him, when you're done with Starfleet, come join us. Join your brothers. Join your people. Mm-hmm. We will accept you. You are one of us. And instead of all of his friends just being like, that was really cool. 
they're all looking at him like he's gonna pull out a phaser and take over the ship yeah kind of did look like that so can't you be then, happy for him <laughs> right to the point where he has to say i was just saying thank you i'm not gonna really do that like you shouldn't have to explain yourself Mm-mm. you shouldn't have to explain it Mm-mm. and thus ends another episode of tng oh and Picard tried to cover it by saying the bridge wouldn't be the same without you. It's too late. Too late. Damage is done. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, David, let's start with you. What are your final thoughts and rating for this episode? This episode is incredibly unoffensive. Um, it doesn't really do anything for me one way or the other. It was really nice to see Worf finally get an episode about him. Um, I think it did, I think it could have been better, but I think it did a really good job of holding up what you needed it to hold up so that you can learn about that character more and so you have a better idea of whether or not you like the character. Um, You're still seeing the shoddy writing in first season where they're just not putting that effort, there's not that sheen on, on the scripts yet. So, you know, for me, it's, it's a, it's a kind of a mixed bag. Michael Dorn is very good in it, but I wish that the ending sequence between him and the other Klingon had been more, instead of him just shooting him, I wanted to see them like fight a little bit to like really make it this moment. But they don't have all the time in the world, so they can't do that. So, I mean, Dorn's really good in this. Everyone else is just kind of there. There are weird logical gaps. There's weirdness throughout this episode. Um, I give it a six. There's there's nothing wrong with it, and if you've never seen it before, by all means, go ahead. But it's not one that you need to go back and watch over and over again. All right, Mel, what is your final thought? Um, I liked this episode, but it was weird. So this episode feels like it's two separate episodes. It feels like the first 15 minutes is one thing. And the rest of it is a completely different thing. The first 15 minutes, there's something happening at the new in the neutral zone. It's really tense. It's really intense. And then we have a whole Picard's a big old nerd with this interface thing. And then we find Kl- Klingons and it does a complete 180. And we're doing something different. And forget about whatever else happened in the first 15 minutes. Because it's... It, that's done we got to the meat of the episode and we don't need to worry about the rest of that what happened in the first 15 minutes of it felt that that's a really weird thing and you don't think about it until you get to the end and you're like wait a minute why and you you know you start to process it you're like why why how did we get these clean oh the neutrozone oh and it's also i'm sorry but i got really excited when they set the neutral zone, oh, um, the Romulans. I was like, oh, it's the Romulan episode. It's not the Romulan episode. But I got really excited that it was. So it was like, fool me once. Next generation. Um, I liked that we got a little bit more insight into the Klingons. I liked that this was a Worf-centric episode. Um, the thing that got me about this really last week we reviewed um coming of age and in coming of age there is a scene between Worf and wesley and we just we talked about it and we said how it didn't feel right it didn't feel 
um, it wasn't, it wasn't emotionally, it didn't pay anything off. And it felt like an empty, an empty scene because we don't really know anything about Worf. I think that if this episode, if the episode had been switched and this had come first and coming of age had come next, this episode would have had a, this, excuse me, that scene would have had more weight to it because we would have known more about war. We would have known um, some of his background and some of what could have possibly scared him enough to have him react that way when talking to Wesley about the psyche valve. Um, I mean, it couldn't, it could have not had carried any weight to it. It could have still been an empty, an empty scene. But I think if we had seen this first, it might have felt different. So that was that's my one real big observation. Um, yeah, after this, I'm like, they should have immediately been like let's give Michael Dorn more things to do because he can do them we're not really sure about the rest of these people but uh, clearly Patrick Stewart and Michael Dorn can do some stuff and of course you know that's not what happened we had to wait still um but I did like this episode overall I gave I'm giving it a seven both good scores (laughs) oh final thoughts for myself I love that it was a wharf episode because I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for a wharf episode. Michael Dorn is great at this character. He did a great job in this episode. He really held it. Uh, um, Patrick Stewart also held this very well, except for the nerdy moment. But it's cute, the nerdy moment, because he does have those a lot in the series. So I'll, I'll forgive it. Um, and Mel, you're right. It did feel like two different episodes. It's like the first 15 minutes, you're like, woo, Romulans, possible Romulans. But they're like, no, Klingons. Ha ha, suckers. <laughs> but it was, it was a segue for Worf, really. It's like, hey, let's bring some Klingons into the mix so they can talk with Worf. And then we can find out things about Worf and Klingon culture and stuff. You get a taste of it, which is nice. I'm glad that when the series keeps going, you get more and more and more. So that's always a a positive. Um, As far as this episode, it's it's great. It's fine. Um, It's just not an episode that I rewatch all the time, personally. But it's not super offensive or anything. So I, too, would give it like a seven as far as the first beginnings in like next gen of learning about Klingons. Yeah. Watch it. But yeah, that will do it for us tonight. Uh, Please make sure you reach out to us on all our social medias. We are at Instagram at open underscore hailing. Also on Twitter at open underscore hailing as well. And we also have an email so if you have any questions comments concerns you want us to review something that you really really like we will do that so open underscore hailing at gmail.com you can reach out to us at all three of those and again please keep your hailing frequencies open we'll see you next time bye